TD Asset Management welcomes you to this week's podcast. As a reminder, this podcast cannot be distributed without the prior written consent of TD Asset Management. Hello and welcome back to TDAM Talks ETFs, a podcast about exchange-traded funds in the market in Canada and TD's ETFs. My name is Tom Grant and I'm the ETF Capital Market Specialist here at TD Asset Management. In the podcast, we'll be discussing quantitative investment strategies. Today, we're joined by Julian Pellardi, who's a Managing Director here at TD Asset Management and the Head of Quantitative Investments. We're also joined by Jonathan Needham, who's a VP&D here at TDAM and the Head of ETF distribution. Jonathan and Julian, welcome. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, no problem. Now, we're going to talk about quantitative investing, and usually that invokes uh, thoughts of algorithmic investing, uh, using models, predicting the future as such. Uh, a lot of this is computer-based. Sometimes I get, you know, thinking about the big short, et cetera, in terms of from a movie background perspective. Uh, but I've got to say, Julian, I don't know if we've ever met in person, but I'm happy to learn that you are not a computer, although I've heard your IQ level is somewhere up near one. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, exciting to have you in the office uh, and here and join us in the in the studio. Now, this is the first time you've been on TDAM Talks uh, podcast series. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, tell me a little bit about your team as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, essentially, I joined TDAM 17 years ago now. Uh, so it's been a long time, but I still remember those days. Uh, I joined right away in the, in the quant team. So uh, uh, Jean Masson hired me back uh, back in those days and uh, right out of the of school, essentially. And before that, I had a previous career in computer security, poking holes and in software, finding vulnerabilities, and now finding vulnerabilities in the markets, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, I grew with the uh, the quant team. Even though the quant team dates back from way before uh, I joined it, so it, it's actually um, the team dates back from 25, 26 years ago, approximately. So probably one of the first uh, quantitative equity teams in the country. Um, so I was pretty proud to to join it, and I I worked on alpha strategies. I worked on portfolio management. Um, eventually, took the lead on the quant portfolios, and eventually. Uh, um, ended up heading the uh, the group when Jean retired. So, uh, um, and the team, as I mentioned, very uh, fairly old tenure team uh, in the country, but also probably one of the largest as well. So we are very, uh, I'm very proud of the the individuals on the team. Very qualified, uh, extremely skilled individuals with variety of backgrounds as well. Well, we're very lucky to have you in the in the team here at uh, at TDAM, and certainly uh, your track record is one reason why. Um, now, you used a term quantitative investing. So let's just unpack that one just a little bit. Can you explain what quantitative investing is in the simplest terms possible, please? Yeah, it's fairly wide in terms of definition. It can go from uh, all the way your um, like fully active quant strategies, uh, uh, doing factor timing or statistical arbitrage. We can go pretty deep in the model construction to, to an alpha, but we can go into things that are much lighter as well, such as uh, factor investing, like static factor investing, or even to some extent, uh, passive investing when you do um, not full replication, but optimized replication. There are models that are involved in this. So all of this would fall in the, in my opinion, in, in the grand family of, of uh, quant investing. The, deg the degree of touch will vary and the degree of value add will vary as well. And the objectives will vary. But at the end of the day, it's all about using models to to, uh, to make investment decisions. So 
instead of having an individual uh, going over numbers and deciding what stocks to, to buy or sell, it comes down to delegating, building a model that will do that job on a day-to-day basis, largely. Awesome, Julian. Um, again, pleasure to, t- to have you here. I know you know I'm a huge fan of evidence-based investing and, and quantitative strategies. Um, and you know we, we talk about them often, whether it's value, growth, momentum, liquidity, uh, low wall, so on and so forth. But we also hear quite a bit of, I'll say, myths and misconceptions out there in the marketplace. Um, what are some of the ones that you hear most about and, and would like to squash, if, if you will, uh, here today? Yeah, there's plenty of them, actually, unfortunately. Um, so the first one that I hear very often is that quant is low touch. Uh, if you look at our team, you're going to see that it's not low touch. We need people to do uh, to build quant strategies. Um, we need data as well. We need technology. So it's a big investment. What is true, though, is that uh, quant tends to be fairly scalable. So once you've set up, once you've put in the investment that's required to build a team and uh, acquire the data and set up the, the technology, then you can scale to much larger amounts of AUM than typical fundamental strategies that are high touch when it comes to individuals uh, managing the money on a day-to-day basis. For quant, you can scale to larger numbers of funds and uh, larger amounts of AUM as well. But overall, it's a big investment, so it shouldn't be seen as something that is necessarily cheaper to to do than uh, fundamental management. The other thing that some people, uh, unfortunately, uh, tend to think is that it's easier to do possibly because when it comes to managing the portfolios day to day, no human beings are involved, but building those models is extremely complicated in the first place. So that's why at the end of the day in the research team, we have PhDs that do this and PhDs are not cheap, as you can imagine. They come extremely qualified and you need to to compensate them consequently. So the type of skill that's required is different, but it's not nowhere easier when it, whenever it comes to generating alpha, sustainable alpha in the markets, typically it's tough. Uh, the approach may differ, but it's always going to require some degree of scale. The fact also, one thing I hear quite often is that quantitative investing is backward looking while fundamental is forward looking. This is absolutely not true. And while it's true that human beings have the gift of imagination, quite often as we refer to it, so they can come up with ideas or thoughts about things that never happened in the past. Machines are extremely good at taking the past and extrapolating into the future or generalizing into the future with as little, as few biases as as possible. And human beings tend to be really bad at doing this, actually. So when it comes to uh, managing money and extrapolating from the past without any biases, even when there's not too much data at play, humans are quite bad at making good decisions, even with few data points. So uh, again, I would say that all techniques, human based or model based are typically about looking into the future, but quite often learning from the past. Thanks for that, Julian. I mean, I, I, I can tell, right? It's, it's not low touch. You got a big team, a very qualified team. It's not low cost, PhDs, I call them propeller heads, much smarter than, than this guy and a phenomenal team that you have, yet we run our strategies at a very low cost structure. So I always like to talk to the end investors about how these are actually giving you an active-like experience, but somewhere in between passive and active cost. And so uh, the lower the cost hurdle, the more returns you keep. And so another one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a huge fan of these strategies, because uh, these factors tend to persist over time, you tend to get better risk-adjusted returns, and you have a low cost hurdle to overcome in order to achieve those. Of course, in the ETF structure, being scalable is also music to my ears because obviously we want to be able to grow these and get more economies of scale and help more Canadians get better uh, risk-adjusted returns. And so again, why these are very suitable in an ETF structure 
Um, and so thanks for squashing or squashing some of those I uh, miss out there. Yeah, I think I think I'll hand it back over to you, Tom. I know you got a couple other burning questions you'd like to ask. Yeah, like uh, and and it comes up a little bit, and and sometimes I find that uh, I just need a little help understanding some of these concepts. So you brought up the term alpha, and and how uh, and I think people say, and Jonathan, you talk about it sometimes. You say how how we capture this. So can you just define a little bit for us what is alpha and how do we capture it? Yeah, so there are multiple definitions of alpha, obviously, and and um, one clear definition, in my opinion, is sustainable uh, performance. And by sustainable, I mean that it cannot be the result of historical luck, um, which means that it cannot be also the result of a specific tilt that you maintained in a specific style, because at some point people are going to find out if it worked in the past. People are going to find out at some point, and they're going to try to replicate this. So, Alpha, by definition, cannot be easy to replicate. Otherwise, it's going to disappear. So that's part of the sustainable aspect of the definition. And it needs to come with skills. And it doesn't matter what what the format uh, of the skill. Ultimately, it can be human beings managing the portfolios, making stock, stock picks, or building models. As long as there's some degree of skill there, that's difficult to replicate. How is it captured? Uh, that's a long discussion that... Probably we're gonna have for the rest of the uh, of the uh, the podcast, but ultimately it comes down to building models that best extract the information from historical data. And there's a lot of data out there that you can use to to do this, and it's compressing this uh, this information or this data into a a small amount of information that you can use to to extrapolate or generalize into the future. So quite often when people ask about what quant is about, my best two-word sentence would be data compression, which is literally, it sounds like non-mathematical, more like computing, computer science stuff, but it's literally like everything that comes to statistics, AI, it's all about data compression. It's turning a lot of data into a small subset of extremely useful information to have a view into the future, pretty much. It sounds like certainly math, science, all these these fantastic uh, elements that go into the construction of, of your portfolios. And there's a lot of other terms that do come up uh, just so that they're not confused, such as modeling, uh, risk reduction strategies. And, and, and perhaps maybe what you can do is you can just talk us just through a little bit more about what the science is behind these strategies that you're incorporating. Yeah, if if we want to simplify things a whole lot, I would say it's all based on the statistics that you learned in high school, but it would be kind of an understatement because ultimately we wouldn't be hiring PhDs if that was the case. We would be hiring graduates from high school. Yeah, for a second <laughs> there, I thought I might have had a future in, the, in quantitative investing, but that got quashed pretty quickly because I didn't get my PhD. I don't know. Jonathan, did you get one? I have not. No. Okay, I guess we'll leave it to the experts then. So uh, the thing is, a lot of people built on those things, those basic statistical principles. And obviously, statistics itself is is much deeper than just uh, than just what you learned in high school. But on top of this, people have built signal processing on top of that. They've built econometrics on top of that. They've built machine learning and AI on top of that. So all of these things are fields from, from which we draw technical knowledge uh, to build our strategies. And it's that's why we hire people with diverse backgrounds. Like my background is econometrics uh, because back then machine learning was not super popular, so not as much as today. So uh, there was there was not a whole lot of people in that, in that space back then. Uh, we had more people with statistical science type of backgrounds, lots of people in finance, but we're building more and more with 
people in computer science and uh, machine learning as well today. So uh, it draws from those various fields and the data compression example that I, not, not even example, but generalization that I used before is the best way to represent things. Like we swim in, a, in, a, in an ocean of data and we need to compress that ocean of data into something that fit, fits in the pool in your backyard, let's say. Um, all the models ultimately end up doing this. So you can imagine, like I was talking about statistics, compute the average between 10 points. Uh, you reduce those 10 points to a single number. So this is what all models are doing, just a bit more complex models than this. Let's see. So I guess um, we did talk about backwards looking, forwards looking, um, and what I want to ask is, you know, as we sort of think about the the future and, and what might come next in the marketplace, like how do these strategies perform in, in up versus down markets? It depends. Depends on the objective that you have. So uh, if your objective is to deliver a very strong asymmetry between upside and downside, typically what you're going to end up with is a strategy that is fairly low vol because these tend to deliver like market-like returns over the long run, but less volatility. So you end up with more upside, significantly more upside than downside capture, uh, even though it's not always going to be the case, but in the long run, this is what we observe. Then you're going to have alpha strategies where you increase your upside, you increase your downside, the gap is going to decrease, but you're still going to have a gap between upside and downside capture, typically more than 100% upside capture in up markets and downside capture is going to be less than 100%. And then other types of strategies where you go into the high, both upside and downside space, these are pretty rare in the quant space, I would say, like growth-ish, high volatility type of strategies where you still get to, to beat the market on a risk-adjusted basis. We don't see many of them because these would fight against the low vol anomaly, so not necessarily an easy thing to do. But generally speaking, there's, there's going to be a quant strategy for every objective out there, to be honest. And they can all do well, both on a market relative basis or on an absolute basis. It depends. Like you have this, you can use the same ingredients to deliver a different recipe for each investor. Now, I know that when you were talking about uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning a little bit earlier, John's eyes lit up. So, John, do you have something you want to ask on that one? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we're hearing more and more, right? Chat GBT and everything else that's out there in the marketplace. And so we're hearing more about AI. Um, in fact, I think we just released a podcast discussing it um, and with, and machine learning. So is there any of this in your quant strategies that you're running? There is, but it's not as exciting as ChatGPT, let's say. Very early in our in our process, we had, in our alpha strategies, we had signal processing techniques that are used today, not necessarily in, in AI, but they use this in self-driving cars. There's, um, in our risk modeling, we use something that we call the PCA, Principal Component Analysis. This is like the most basic version of pattern recognition that you can get. And it's, it was used historically in, a, in the analysis of images and extracting features from images as well. Now there are much more advanced techniques that, that uses, but this is the linear version of, in this field, this is probably the simplest model. Uh, feature selection as well, this, this is the kind of stuff that we do in our alpha models today. And this is, these are things that are done in AI models as well and machine learning models. But 80% of our research pipelines, though, it's worth mentioning, is really machine learning and AI-related AI with techniques that are much more advanced than, than these. Uh, these were like the building blocks of, of machine learning back in the days. Now we're advancing beyond this. A uh, significant part of our research is on natural language processing, so uh, reading textual information and turning this into numerical insight that can eventually be used to beat the markets or reduce risk. And eventually, I'm not going to stop there. We can open the door to any kind of un unstructured data analysis 
using machine learning learning techniques. So uh, it's just at the end of the day, what we need are trade lists. It's not like a script of uh, written by uh, by an AI. Like we don't need generative AI that much. We need decision making type of AI, and this stuff already existed way before ChatGPT. So uh, it's the cool stuff. I don't know about you, Tom, but kind of gets me fascinated the type of uh, information that you can gather. And so let, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what about all the data, right? There continues to be more and more, obviously, on a daily basis. How important is it? How do we collect it? How do we analyze it? Why is it important? Um, and how do you make sense of it? It's insanely important. In fact, I would say that it's the core of everything we do. Uh, a lot of people think that the, the modeling part is the most cool stuff, but actually not none of that happens without having the data. And the reason why we see like all the training for ChatGPT is possible because of all this data that's available on the internet today and it's open source largely. It's like the Wikipedia corpus, for example, people write an entire encyclopedia and you can train models based on this stuff. If that didn't exist, it would be really tough to for individuals to come up with things like uh, large language models. So. Uh, and it's the same thing in finance. All our models rely, they're being fed on data. And there's more more and more of it, fortunately. And uh, quite often we refer to a notion of data to express the, 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 the notion that there's an increasing amount of, of uh, quantifiable data out there. And it's, and it's not all structured data. It's not all numerical data. A lot of that is textual data, voice data. Uh, image, data, videos, et cetera, et cetera. So um, individuals are faced with an increasing amount of data to make their investment decisions, and human beings tend to drown in this data, while I like to think that quant models tend to swim in this in this data. And uh, so when it comes to practical aspects now, most of the data that we use is not 100% public open source. It's de- derived from public information, obviously, but it comes from vendors, like most quant firms. And we have multiple vendors that we deal with. But even though it may sound easy like this, getting data from vendors is not a slam dunk. Uh, you need to ingest that data on a daily basis. You need to clean it. You need to match it. Uh, and people would be surprised to see how many errors there are in data that comes from vendors for which you pay big bucks, surprisingly. So we have our own data team that's going through the data, not manually. Obviously, we build systematic processes to go through the data to identify anomalies that are likely to be errors. And we're actually extremely good at correcting uh, errors in our data. And th- this is really the first step, because if you do have errors in your data, you build a quant strategy that will be t- typically optimized. There's going to be uh, an optimizer involved in the portfolio construction. And for sure, it's going to find this error and it's going to maximize it in your portfolio. For sure, you're going to trade on it. I can tell you that. It's like Murphy's Life. You drop your toast, it's going to be on the side of the bottom. So same thing for the uh, for, same thing for data errors in your data. You're gonna trade on it for sure. So, having extremely clean, clean data is is very important. Having a long history of data that is point in time as well is extremely important. So you want data unrevised as it was when it was released because you build strategies after that. On this stuff, you don't want to have like forward-looking information about the future that you shouldn't have known. So a long history of clean point in time data is like digital goal for us, quants. So um, this is like invaluable, the stuff that we've built over the years. And then we feed that to our models, we compress that into models with lesser parameters and all that. So to forecast the future, but this is literally the cornerstone of all all quant models. Yeah. I wonder if you can, uh, I guess, uh, predict how many listeners we're going to get for this podcast using your model. Eh, Probably quite a few. 
Um, John, I guess I'll just turn to you just for a second. Like we've got a ton of quant strategies here at, at, at TD and there's there's some specifically inside of the, the TD ETF lineup. Can you discuss them? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. Julian runs uh, and his team run seven different strategies here for us at TD Asset Management. And so I'll, I'll bucket them into four different categories. The, the first category is our low ball strategy. So I want, well, you know, for the listeners on the line, for, client, for for those that are looking for market returns with less risk, which I don't know why that wouldn't be everybody, uh, you definitely want to look at our low ball strategies as a core component of your portfolio. So TCLV is the ticker for Canadian exposure, uh, TILV for international exposure, and TULV for U.S. equity exposure. And of course, uh, the second category is in our dividend strategies, uh, where our quant team is looking for high quality companies that have dividend growth, uh, return on equity, and strong cash flow. Um, and also great strategies for clients that are looking for income and growth. Um, and so these strategies have done exceptionally well in the marketplace. And Canadians continue to embrace them. And so TQCD uh, is our dividend strategy for Canadian equity exposure and TQGD uh, for global equity exposure. Again, both with attractive dividend yields and, and high quality bias. Um, our third bucket, if you will, is our multi-factor strategy, um, which is for clients that are looking for a global equity exposure um, and outperformance, alpha, right? They're looking for better uh, outcomes relative to the broad market. And that's TQGM. And then the fourth bucket is systematic alpha strategy. And this is an area... Uh, that I'm very passionate about, that we find a lot of our advisor community embraces as well. And that's the U.S. small mid-cap space. So TQSM is the ticker on that one. And that's an area of the market that's pretty inefficient. And so where you can employ you know, a, a factor strategy uh, from our quant team here, you, you, we, we've proven to provide much better outcomes in an area of the market that's very difficult uh, to stock pick in. And so those are our seven strategies. Uh, feel free, to, of course, to look on our website at any point in time for any information uh, and the performance of these strategies. All right. Well, I'm going to make my prediction is that uh, this is going to be our most popular podcast that we've hosted so far. Let's try. Uh, John, Julian, anything that you guys want to, to, to end on or anything you want guys want to share that maybe we just didn't touch on today? Uh, on my end, I would say if you want to buy into the AI hype, uh, don't do it by buying overpriced stocks, just buy RETFs. That's going to give you decent exposure to the, uh, at least process-wise. Uh, I think uh, I think otherwise uh, we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I think for the listeners out there, you can tell that Julian's a, a true fiduciary. Um, so he has your best interests in mind, and I think that's that's very sound um, advice to essentially, um, you know, outsource it to his team versus trying to pick stocks in a, in a very hot sector at this particular time. Um, very risky. Sounds good. All right. Well, for all of you listening, uh, we thank you for tuning in and for considering. TD ETFs for your hard-earned savings and investment accounts. Uh, we at TDM are fiduciaries, as John had mentioned, and as Julian has represented, and of the best interest of Canadians in mind. We manage money for Canadians, by Canadians, and for the lens of the Canadian investor. Not all ETFs are created equal, and we put a lot of thought and diligence into bringing to market solutions for investors' problems. Thank you, Julian, and thank you, John, for taking the time to dive into quant investing today. Thank you for all. We hope you enjoyed, and have a great day. The information contained herein has been provided by TD Asset Management and is for information purposes only. The information has been drawn from sources believed to be reliable. The information does not provide financial, legal, tax, or investment advice. 
Particular investment tax or trading strategies should be evaluated relative to each individual's objectives and risk tolerance. Certain statements in this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are predictive in nature and may include words such as expects, anticipates, intends, believes, estimates, and similar forward-looking expressions or negative versions thereof. Forward-looking statements are based on current expectations and projections about future general economic, political, and relevant market factors, such as interest and foreign exchange rates, equity and capital markets, the general business environment, assuming no changes to tax or other laws or government regulation or catastrophic events. Expectations and projections about future events are inherently subject to risks and uncertainties, which may be unforeseeable. Such expectations and projections may be incorrect in the future. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance. Actual events could differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statement. A number of important factors, including those factors set out above, can contribute to these digressions. You should avoid placing any reliance on forward-looking statements. TD Asset Management Inc. is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Toronto Dominion Bank. TD Asset Management operates through TD Asset Management Inc. in Canada and through Epic Investment Partners Inc. in the United States. TD Greystone Asset Management represents Greystone Managed Investments Inc., a wholly owned subsidiary of Greystone Capital Management Inc. All entities are affiliate and wholly owned subsidiaries of the Toronto Dominion Bank.